Hello, good evening, everybody. We are uh, just tickled to death to be back um, recording our Wednesday night Bible study. Uh, we took a week off last week um, as Justin and his beautiful family went on vacation. But we're back this week and back into our study of 1 Timothy. And I'm excited about that. Uh, tonight, we're actually going to be beginning chapter 3. And we're going to be talking about the qualification, uh, qualifications rather of overseers, of pastors. Uh, so, but before we do that, I want to I want to open us in a word of prayer. And uh, wherever you are, uh, if you've got somebody on your heart, on your mind that uh, you want prayed for, uh, do that as we pray. Uh, if you've got somebody you want me to pray for or want our church body here in Atlanta to pray for, uh, feel free to uh, shoot a message through our Facebook page. Uh, you can remain anonymous. You can say unspoken prayer request, just whatever you would like. We'd be more than happy uh, to pray with you. So with that being said, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we just love you tonight. Lord, we thank you for your love and your goodness and your mercy. Father, we're thankful that you are sovereign, Lord, that you are still on the throne. Lord, as our country is in the midst of chaos, Lord, in the midst of a pandemic. Lord, we're so thankful, Father, that none of it comes to any surprise to you. God, I'm so thankful for that. God, I pray that you be with our nation, be with our leaders. Uh, Father, be with our uh, law enforcement. Uh, Father, be with the people protesting, Father, for uh, with the families of those that have lost loved ones. Father, your word tells us that we, we're all created in your image. Lord, the color of our skin doesn't matter. God, and I pray that uh, that thought, Lord, would be in the hearts and minds of people out there. Father, and if it's not, God, I pray that you would make them realize that. God, that you love us all the same. God, we're so thankful for that. Lord, I pray that you'd be with our church. Lord, as we go ahead each day, Father, as we share the gospel, Lord, as Miss Sandra always puts it, that's our, that's our mission statement, share the gospel. God, and we're so thankful for the privilege to do so. God, I pray that everything we do here tonight, Lord, would bring honor and glory to thy name. For it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, like I said just a while ago here in chapter 3, it, uh, it talks about the qualifications of uh, overseers, of pastors. And um, so as I read this, uh, it is an ever-present reminder to me uh, as a pastor here at Atlanta Baptist Church. It is a reminder to me. It holds me accountable uh, because as we get into this, we're going to see the first uh, statement Paul makes here in chapter 3, that this is a faithful saying, and we've talked about that before, uh, how this is, uh, in our way of speaking, uh, you can take this to the bank. This is profitable for doctrine. And uh, so uh, this, as I read this, I, it holds me accountable. Uh, at the same time, it's it's there to uh, that we can hold the leaders uh, of our respective churches uh, accountable. And, you know, as we started this, we, 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 we understood that Paul's purpose in writing this letter uh, 
was to instruct Timothy, the young pastor, uh, regarding the church, Timothy being there in Ephesus and being a young pastor, and he's instructing Timothy here. And it is of primary uh, importance to any church that its leaders be qualified to do so. Uh, they need to be qualified to teach. They need to be qualified to set an example uh, to each and every uh, one within that body. And uh, these verses that we're going to read here tonight, we're going to read uh, the first seven verses of chapter three, uh, where it's talking specifically about uh, the overseer, uh, the pastor, the bishop. Uh, we'll get into that in just a second. That uh, That's all those uh, titles are referring to the same guy. Uh, and after that, uh, verses eight through 13 will we'll address qualifications for deacons. But just for tonight, we're going to talk about uh, the qualifications for overseers. And, and uh, these verses that we're going to uh, read tonight are going to delineate those qualifications uh, for us. So uh, what I'm going to do, I'm going to start reading here in chapter three, and I'm going to read uh, verses one through seven uh, all together. And then we're going to stop and we're going to go back and we're going to uh, look at them verse by verse. And we're going to, uh, uh, in some cases, word by word uh, to see just exactly what Paul is instructing Timothy here. And not only instructing Timothy, instructing us right here in 2020. So let's, if you got your Bibles, we're going to be in chapter 3 of 1 Timothy. And I'm going to begin reading here in verse 1. It says, this is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. You know, before I... Um, uh, started reading the scripture right here, uh, I made mention of this first uh, phrase that Paul uses right here. And that phrase is, this is a faithful saying. What Paul's telling Timothy right here, look, Timothy, these are the qualifications for uh, the overseers, uh, the pastors of the church. And this is good as gold. You can take this to the bank. This is profitable for doctrine. This is the truth. And it all comes, as we know, uh, on the authority bestowed upon him by the Lord Jesus Christ as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we need to take serious what Paul is telling Timothy right here. And these same truths apply to us today. This is a faithful saying. He goes on to say, if a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. Notice the word uh, desires is used 
twice right here in this verse. And uh, there are two different uh, Greek words used uh, when we look at the original manuscript here, which was written in the Greek language. Uh, there are two different Greek words used here in the place of desire. And uh, the first one means to reach out after. Uh, if a man desires the position, if a man uh, wants to reach out for it, he, it describes an external action, uh, not an internal motive. Now, the second one uh, literally means a strong passion, and it refers to an inward desire. So uh, we, we, we look at the two different uh, Greek words right here for desire. One is an is an external uh, motion to to grasp it because of the internal uh, passion to go get it. Uh, so uh, when we take these words together, they aptly describe the type of man uh, who belongs in the ministry, uh, a man who outwardly pursues. Uh, that and that per, uh, outward uh, pursuing is driven by this inward passion, and that is to be a bishop uh, or a pastor. Uh, the word bishop here uh, literally means overseer, and it identifies the men who are responsible to lead the church. Now, you see why this uh, uh, as I read this, it, it, it holds me accountable as I read it. Uh, these bishops, these uh, overseers here uh, in the New Testament, uh, the words bishop and elder and overseer and uh, pastor, uh, they're used interchangeably uh, to describe the same men, the same position. And bishops and pastors, they are responsible to lead uh, in their church. They are responsible for the preaching and the teaching in their church. Uh, They're responsible to help the spiritually weak in their church, the spiritually weak, the spiritually immature, uh, and they are to guide them according to the scripture as they grow in their spiritual maturity. Uh, they're responsible to care for the church and they are responsible to ordain other leaders. So we see right here by reading this and understanding uh, who the man is, what his position is, we see that there's a, a lot of responsibility on his shoulders. That's why it's important uh, that he, if he desires that, he needs to have that, uh, that internal passion to do so. In the second verse, it says this, a bishop then must be blameless. That word must uh, right here, uh, he uses a Greek uh, particle that stresses emphatically uh, that living a blameless life is absolutely necessary for a church leader. He must, he has to, it's required. But what is blameless? What, what does that mean? I, I, don't, I don't understand what that means. A bishop then must be blameless. Well, when we look at that word blameless as it's translated from the Greek, uh, it literally, literally means uh, not, um, not, he, uh, not, not, how does, how does it go? Not able to be held. Uh, that's the word I was looking for, uh, and that is in the criminal 
sense. Uh, there is no valid accusation of wrongdoing uh, that can be made against him. Now, don't misunderstand me right here when I say this. That does not mean that that man, you can't accuse him of anything or he can't be found guilty of anything, but rather he must lead a life uh, in which that he's not giving any excuse to anyone to bring any type of charge against him, uh, not able to be held by uh, the literal meaning of the word blameless. He must be an example for the people to follow. And this is an overarching uh, requirement for elders. Uh, the rest of the qualifications after that, uh, they elaborate on what it means to be blameless. In other words, you've got to lead your life in a way that is above reproach. And what I mean by that, it is above criticism. That does not mean you're uh, perfect or you're beyond it, but you've got to lead your life in a way that there's no way people can dig skeletons out of the closet, so to speak. You have to lead a life that is blameless. It says you must be blameless. I think we all understand that. He goes on to say here, after that, it says a bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife. Now, this, <laughs> this phrase right here in this third chapter of 1 Timothy, uh, there are a lot of different uh, views on what that means. And we're going to get into that in just a second. But before we do that, I think it's important that we understand uh, the, the, the Greek manuscript of this. Uh, the phrase, the husband of one wife, literally in Greek means one woman man. This says nothing about marriage and divorce. That's why it's so important to understand the context in the uh, original language in which this was written. The issue is not the uh, bishop or pastor's marital status, but the issue is his moral and his sexual purity. Now, that's some um, sketchy ground that people don't like to talk about, but that is what Paul is talking about right here. And this qualification heads the list. After it says he must be blameless, then comes this. Uh, it heads this list uh, because it is. this is an area when we talk about moral and sexual purity uh, that leaders are most prone to fail. Um, I, I don't know if it's a, a natural fleshly male instinct or what, but Paul mentions it uh, right at the top of the list after being blameless. Now, I mentioned earlier that there are various uh, interpretations of this qualification right here, and, and we'll go over that uh, now that we understand what uh, the original Greek said right there. He must be a one-woman man. He must be a man of one woman. Uh, so, uh, the first uh, interpretation that has been offered here is uh, some see it when they read it 
a prohibition against polygamy. Now, we all know what polygamy means. That means uh, a man having a bunch of wives. Um, as we understand uh, what is going on in the time period in which this was uh, written, uh, that would really be an, an un unnecessary uh, injunction uh, because polygamy was not common in Roman society. Uh, and it is also clearly forbidden uh, in Scripture uh, in Genesis uh, chapter 2 in verse 24 where um, Moses said that uh, the, uh, the man should uh, leave his father and mother and uh, cleave unto his wife and they should become one flesh. It doesn't say anywhere in there about uh, a man and um uh, the two should become one, the man and his wife. It doesn't say uh, the two should become, it says the two should become one, but not three or five or ten or anything like that. It said the man and the wife should become one flesh. So scripture clearly forbids polygamy. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ in his uh, teaching in Matthew chapter 19, verses five and six, he re reiterates the words of Moses from Genesis. Uh, he, he, he quotes it, as a matter of fact. Uh, the Apostle Paul goes on in Ephesians chapter 5 uh, to quote it as well. So uh, Scripture clearly forbids polygamy. So uh, that's not what they're talking about right here. They're not talking about polygamy. Uh, a polygamist couldn't even uh, have been a church member, let alone a church leader at this time because living that lifestyle is completely uh, uh, opposite of what scripture teaches. So we got to take that off the table. Uh, the second um, interpretation of this uh, husband of one wife is this. Uh, they see this requirement is barring those who married after the deaths of their wives. Uh, but as we've already noted and we've already discussed, the, the real motive behind Paul writing this is about the issue of sexual purity. It's not about marital status. Uh, furthermore, the Bible even encourages uh, remarriage after widowhood. In fact, we'll be getting into it in chapter 5 uh, of this very book that we're reading. Paul even talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So scripture encourages uh, widowers to remarry. Uh, so that, that's not it. Uh, some believe here that Paul excludes divorced men from church leadership. And again, this ignores uh, the fact that um, this is this qualification right here is not uh, dealing with marital status, uh, nor does the Bible uh, prohibit all remarriage after divorce. Even the Lord Jesus talked about uh, there are instances where remarriage is uh, permitted after divorce, uh, and Paul even talked about it in First Corinthians chapter seven as well, uh, in cases of sexual immorality uh, and in cases where uh, one member of the couple is a believer and one is not and they divorce they're encouraged to remarry 
And the last one, the fourth one here, they interpret this as meaning um, some think that this requirement, the husband of one wife, uh, excludes single men from church leadership or from becoming a pastor. Uh, but if that were the case, if that were Paul's intent in writing this, uh, it would have disqualified himself uh, because we know from Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that even he himself was a single man. What it's actually telling us right here is that uh, this one woman man that Paul is describing right here is one that is totally devoted to his wife. Uh, one that is maintaining singular devotion, that is maintaining singular affection, and he is maintaining sexual purity in both thought and his deed. Uh, to violate this is to forfeit uh, the blamelessness charge that was right before it. And if he were to do that, then he would no longer be above reproach. He would no longer be uh, living a life that gives uh, no reason to uh, criticize, if you will. So that's what he's talking about right here. One woman, man. It goes on here. It says after the husband of one wife, it says he is to be temperate. Um, that's kind of one of those difficult words. Uh, sometimes we don't know exactly uh, it, when we read it, we're going I think I know what that means. Uh, but we really need to look at uh, the Greek word here, which literally means wineless. Uh, but here it's being used uh, as a metaphor. It's being used metaphorically uh, to mean alert, to be watchful, uh, to be uh, vigilant and clear-headed. A pastor, a bishop, an overseer must be able to think clearly. He goes on to mention right here after temperate uh, that the man must be sober-minded. Uh, a sober-minded man is disciplined. Uh, he knows how to properly order his priorities. Um, and he is serious about spiritual matters. See what it says. After sober-minded, he must be of good behavior. Uh, the Greek word here, when we read in the original Greek, uh, means orderly. Uh, elders must not lead a chaotic life. Um, how can you lead a church when your own home, when your own life is in complete chaos? <laughs> if they can't uh, manage or they can't order their own lives, how can they bring order within the body of Christ? They have to be orderly. They have to be of good behavior. This, the next word here in, in Paul's uh, description of qualifications right here, it says he needs to be hospitable. And when we read that word hospitable here in the English language, uh, this is a form of, uh, this is from the uh, compound Greek word meaning love of strangers. Uh, as with all uh, spiritual virtues, uh, elders or bishops or pastors, whatever word you want to use there, uh, must set the example. Uh, 
their lives and homes are to be open to everyone so all can see their spiritual character. They've got to be hospitable. That wouldn't really um, set a very good example if when I left here and went home and shut the doors and uh, I had a church member come knock on my door. If I told him to go away, leave me alone. <laughs> I wouldn't be very hospitable, would I? It also says at the end of verse two, two here, it says they need to, he needs to be able to teach. Uh, this word that is used here uh, in the Greek here is uh, used only here and in Second Timothy, and we'll be getting into Second Timothy uh, down the road. It's used again in Second Timothy chapter two, uh, verse twenty-four. Um, but this is the only qualification that Paul gives that is relating to uh, the pastor or overseer's uh, giftedness and spiritual ability. And it's the only one that distinguishes the pastor from the deacons, uh, from the overseer, from the deacons. And we'll be talking about the deacons uh, next week. Uh, the preaching and teaching of God's word uh, is the pastor's primary duty. Uh, we talked about uh, the, the, the women's role in the church and how uh, Paul here forbids the woman from taking that role, that specific role. That is the pastor's role, and that is to preach and to teach God's word. He says he must be able to teach. Let's go on to verse 3. After all those things there, it says that he is not, he is to be not given to wine. Now, this is a more than just a mere uh, prohibition of drunkenness. The elder, the pastor, the overseer must not have a reputation as a drinker. His judgment must never be clouded with alcohol. We all know what alcohol does. It clouds the judgment. It does a lot of different things. Uh, the, the lifestyle, the life of this man uh, must be radically different from the world. And our life, I say our because I am a pastor, our life needs to lead others to holiness and not to sin. I've used this analogy a lot when it comes to um drinking and I'm not going to get on a deal about drinking right here at all but when I well, I'm going to I'm going to address it uh from my perspective um how it would steer someone the wrong way if I were to be seen as a drinker if I were to be known as a drinker uh, I would not be leading uh people by my actions by my life uh to a life of holiness in fact I would be pointing them to the world, and we can't do that. The next thing it says here is for a pastor, for overseers, is that they not be violent, not violent, which in the translation here literally means not a giver of blows. I, um, that that makes me laugh. Um, you know, I, I can't be a, a, a fighter. Uh, I can't be one to get in fights. Uh, the elders uh, must react to difficult situations calmly. We must react to them 
gently. Uh, and I know under no circumstances with physical violence, <laughs> we cannot be violent nor a giver of blows. The next one right here is um, not greedy for money. Uh, now, some Greek manuscripts omit this phrase, uh, but the principle is included, however, um, in Titus chapter 1, and we'll be getting into Titus right here. Uh, but uh, but it, it falls under um, uh, when we talk about not being covetous. But some manuscripts omit that phrase, but the principle is included, and we will see that in when we get to Titus. It also says he must be gentle. What is a gentle? What is it? What is a gentle man look like? Uh, well, he's considerate. Uh, he's genial. He's gracious. He's quick to pardon, uh, and he's one that does not hold a grudge. Um, we can't do that. And, you know, a lot of these, as we read these qualifications, uh, you know, a lot of these go along with just being a believer, be believing, uh, being. Uh, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, we can't be that way as a believer. We can't uh, begrudge others. Scripture plainly talks about that. Obviously, it would be included in qualifications uh, for a leader in the church. Must be gentle. It says not to be quarrelsome. He can't be quarrelsome. Uh, when you're not quarrelsome, you are peaceful. Uh, you were reluctant to fight. Um, you don't promote disunity and you don't promote uh, disharmony. Uh, if you're a pastor or you know a pastor uh, uh, that is always trying to get people on one side or the other, uh, he's, he, he's, he's not adhering to this. He's, he's not being not quarrelsome. He's being the opposite of it. He is uh, promoting uh, division. And we're not supposed to do that. Any Christian is not supposed to do that. The next thing it says to be not covetous. Uh, that sounds like an old-timey word right there, doesn't it? Uh, but precisely what it means is uh, the pastor, the overseer, the elder uh, must be motivated by the love of God and not by the love of money. Any leader or any pastor who is in the ministry uh, for money reveals uh, that his heart is set on the world and not on things of God. Jesus talked about that uh, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, uh, where he addresses that, uh, that you can't serve uh, the Lord and the world. Uh, you either love one and hate the other. Uh, you desire one, reject the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and things of the world. And oftentimes, in, in many of Paul's letters, uh, covetousness characterizes false teachers. Uh, but none of that uh, describes Paul's ministry. <clears throat> Moving on to verse 4, it says, One who rules his own house well. The pastor's home life. The pastor's home life, just like his personal life, must be exemplary. He must be the one who has authority over his own house. He has to, because that's according to Scripture. Everything connected with his home, not just merely his wife and his children. 
says he must rule his own house well. Not just ruling it, but ruling it well. What does that mean? He must rule it excellently. He goes on to say here in verse 4, says one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. Let's look at that word for just a second, submission. Uh, this is a military term when we think about the term submission. And it refers to soldiers ranked under one's authority. Uh, when we think about our, our military and we have a ranking system within it, those beneath the rank submit to the authority of the one above them. Uh, and that's what it's talking about. Our children must submit to our authority. An elder's children, a pastor's children, uh, must also be believers. Well, wait a minute, preacher. That ain't what that said. Having his children in submission with all reverence. Now, we're going to talk about that as we get into Titus. Uh, as you know, we're going to be looking at uh, 1 Timothy, Titus, and 2 Timothy. And Paul talks about that in Titus chapter 1 and verse 6. Uh, but an elder's children must be believers. They must be well-behaved and they must be respectful. Why do you think he's, why, why do you think uh, Paul is addressing this and making this a qualification for a pastor or a leader of his church that his children may, uh, be believers, that they be well-behaved, that they be respectful? Well, think about the position that the man is uh, in. He is here. He is uh, leading the church. He is teaching them according to the scripture. Uh, he is there to um, uh, grow believers within the church uh, spiritually. He is there to lead those who are lost to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. If he can't do this within his own home, with his own children, how do we expect he's going to do it? How, how do you think he's going to do it uh, within uh, the context of the body of Christ? That's why it's in here. Look what he says in verse 5. He answers that question right here. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? A pastor, uh, a, an elder, an overseer must prove in the intimacy and the exposure of his own home his ability to lead others to salvation and as well through the uh, process of sanctification. When he's there, he proves God has gifted him uh, uniquely to spiritually set the example of virtue to serve others, to uh, resolve conflicts, to build unity, and to maintain love. If he can't do those essential things right there, why in the world would anyone assume that he would be able to do them within the church? Let's look what he says here in verse 6. He says, not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride and fall into the same condemnation as the devil. What is he talking about right here? Not a novice. Uh, when we read the word novice right here, he's talking about a new convert, a new believer, someone that has just come uh, to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, someone that has just surrendered their life to the Lord. Uh, when you put someone like that 
that uh, is, according to Scripture, spiritually speaking, someone's still on the milk. Uh, when you put someone like that in a leadership uh, position, in a leadership role, it would tempt them to pride. Uh, that's the reason why he uses the word uh, not a novice. Don't let don't let this uh, guy who is a new believer uh, don't don't place him in a leadership role. Less being puffed up. Uh, these type of things could cause uh, the man to be prideful, would tempt him to be prideful. Uh, there, uh, the, the, the elders, the pastors, the overseers uh, need to be drawn from the spiritually mature uh, men of the congregation. I'm not talking about uh, mature as in age, how old they are. Uh, oftentimes that may have something to do with it. Uh, but uh, we're, we're talking about men that are spiritually mature, that are no longer on the milk, that are on the meat, and and uh, understand uh, God's word. Um, you know, it may be a young man who's uh, been saved for a long time, who has sat under teaching and preaching for many years. Uh, he may be a man in position to take a leadership role. At the end of that verse, he said, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall in the same condemnation as the devil. Well, let's think about that. What was Satan's uh, condemnation due to? It was due to his, his, his pride over his position. Uh, it resulted in his fall from honor and his fall from authority. What did Satan want to do? He wanted to be God. He wanted to dethrone God and him be uh, placed in that place. He was full of, excuse me, he was full of pride. The same uh, kind of fall in judgment could easily happen to a new uh, spiritually immature, uh, weak believer if they're put in a position of spiritual leadership. Now let's look at the last verse we're going to look at here tonight. After he finishes that thought, after he gives all these qualifications right here, he says this, Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside. Lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside. A leader, a pastor, the bishop, the overseer of the church must have an unimpeachable reputation in the unbelieving community. Even though the people there that are among the unbelievers may disagree with his uh, moral, with his theological stands, how can this man who is put in a position of spiritual leadership in the church uh, how can he make a spiritual impact on those people uh, that, uh, as we were preaching uh, Sunday out of 1 Peter, uh, people before they were saved, he used the word ignorant. How can a pastor make a spiritual impact on uh, believer, unbelievers in the community outside who are ignorant, who don't know any better when it comes uh, to knowledge of Scripture, when it comes to knowledge of salvation, how can he make an impact on them if they don't respect him? He's got to be a man of respect. 
He's got to be a man that lives a blameless life. One that does not bring uh, criticism. You see, it's the responsibility when I said before we got started how this holds me accountable. You see, that man is responsible for his own actions. He's got to live that life. He's got to do it because he is a man that's been called by the Lord into the ministry of sharing the gospel. And he's got a list of qualifications right here to hold him accountable. So when I say it puts a lot of pressure on me, it puts a lot of pressure on me because it's it, it is um uh, it, it can be quite difficult uh, to to live a life uh, that is above reproach in the world that we live in today. But I thank God that I don't have to do it alone. I've got uh, God's Word, and I've got the Holy Spirit that lives right here, both of which hold me accountable. And uh, so, anyway, uh, I hope all of you have learned a little bit here as we've looked at the qualifications of pastors. Uh, maybe, perhaps, you didn't know before. Uh, next week, we're going to look at the qualifications uh, that Paul is writing to Timothy for deacons in the church. And I uh, hope you'll join us uh, next week. Uh, until then, y'all have a blessed week. Uh, I hope uh, if you're close, I know we've got some folks that watch our, our Bible study from afar off. I know they won't be able to make it, but if you're close, I would encourage you to come be a part of our worship service uh, Sunday morning at 10 o'clock in our Family Life Center. And if you still do not feel comfortable about coming in, if you're sick or whatever, uh, just come drive in. We'll be broadcasting on 97.9, and you can just stay in your vehicle and worship with us from there. But until next time, God bless. Have a wonderful week. Bye-bye.